Extracts from the Now. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other costumed heroes as masterpieces. I am Nick, the super strong, super powerful, almost indestructible um, uh, hero. Okay, it's a strong word, but I think it's fair to say, of the podcast. And I'm joined so, as so ever. So I'm the gadgety fanboy, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> we are discussing our second film of 2018, except we're not. We're doing one of our um, franchises where we look at, um, well, as many films as we think are potential masterpieces in a franchise, which is why we stopped at Aliens um, <laughs> when we did Alien mm. and Aliens. Um, and indeed, this... Terminator 2. And indeed, Terminator 2. Though, I, yeah, there's lots of... Anyway, we don't need to reopen those debates, because today we are discussing Pixar and Brad Bird's um, superhero films, The Incredibles and The Incredibles 2. Hmm. So, the incre- there was a long gap between these films. The Incredibles was 2004? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I guess we'll start with that, really. So this was a this was a bit of a gamble for Pixar, I believe. They'd had a string of real hits on their hands, um, and Brad Bird. Uh, they, this was a bit of a, a, a different film for them. It was aimed at a slightly older, slightly older audience, and was a different sort of theme to the others. Hmm. Um, but we have the story of um, Mister Incredible. Who has been forced into retirement um, because of? And this is an interesting plot point, which was I see was that he's, he's been forced into retirement not because of a, a death or um, uh, too many people getting killed or supervillains. He's been forced into retirement due to uh, insurance claims due to collateral damage from superheroes smashing up the place when they go about foiling supervillains. Yeah, this is something of a recurring theme in these films, and. Um... This is why I was asking you about a particular comics reference because I, when when I came across this, I thought, yeah, but I, but I've seen this idea done in comics before. It's it's not new the way the film wants to present it. And indeed, Neil Gaiman did it in um, nineteen ninety one on Miracle Man. Uh, that's right. It was in his Miracle Man run. Though to be honest, it was discussed a bit in Alan Moore's Miracle Man run too. Yeah, and even then, it wasn't. Uh, this is what I find about. I mean, you. I think I've mentioned this with science fiction films. Um, I was perhaps more of a comics fan, not much of a superhero comics fan. I'm more of a 2000 AD kid, but I, I find anything interesting that films think they're doing with comics, with com- with superhero films, generally already been done 30 years ago in comics. Yeah, my my working model for this, and I think it is the same for written science fiction, is that that the, the kid loves the thing as a kid. And then spends 30 years working his way up the hierarchy, um, to the point where he can green light stuff himself and then remembers, you know, 30 years ago, back when I still had a sense of wonder and imagination and stuff, I really loved this. It'll make a great yeah. film. <laughs> and let's see. That's it. I mean, that's a, a bit mean on the Incredibles because uh, as far as filmic interpretation, was this before Watchmen? This was before Watchmen came out, the Watchmen film. Before the I film, think. yeah. Oh, yeah, it was long after the 80, <laughs> 85 Watchmen was, I think. Um, but it was, uh, it, it had a lot of information to get across in a pretty short space of time, um, in that there were superheroes and, um, we see a whole kind of, uh, 
I guess it's supposed to be like 90s set um, superhero action, but it has a very sort of 60s feel to it in a way, that kind of... Mm, um, That's the thing I want to come back to later. Yes, okay. Uh, But it has a kind of a gold... Well, uh, if you know your comics age, it's probably more of a silver age kind of um, feel to it in the early part. It's definitely... This is the mass understanding of how superheroes work. You know, here is this guy. He's very strong. He's very tough. Uh, He has to stop chasing criminals to try to get a cat out of a tree. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then we see, we project forward some years later, 15, 20 years. I'm not sure quite how long, but long enough for him uh, to be thoroughly sick of being. I mean, there's a very uh, 50s, 60s aesthetic to things like cars, so. I think that's why it definitely has a a, a kind of um, future 50s feel to it. And and very um, Silver Age kind of characters. Um, so we see Mr. Incredible um, batten down, extremely unhappy that he can't be a superhero, uh, in a very loving relationship, uh, marriage with uh, his old uh, well, sparring partner, partner, not really, Elastigirl, who was one of the other supers at the time. He's now a family man, and he's having to settle down. He's basically having a bit. It's the story of a superhero midlife crisis, I guess. Yeah, um, it, 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 it is possibly notable that uh, Brad Bird uh, was born in 1957 and he started working on this idea, particularly the family element, in 1993. So, right, yes. I, I wonder if there's any um, autobiographical elements here. Um, and I, I, I think from, from what he said, I don't think it was a conscious thing, but it certainly filters in. Yeah, I mean, it's gone together now. I mean, it's very much... Then, then he made the Iron Giant, uh, which was which was a complete box office disaster. But because he's a white man and because he knew John Lasseter, he, he went along to Pixar and, Pixar and said, "Yeah, I want to direct another film." Ignore the last <laughs> one I did. Yes, which worked. Um, Two thousand and four. I mean, I, I guess this was before a lot of um, uh, Overton window shifting. Should we say? I mean, there, there was a lot of um, a lot less about. We were a lot less aware of quite how. Do- or, by we, I mean um, entitled white guys were less aware than they should have been of how dominated uh, uh, by culture um, their representatives have been. And so this, uh, The Incredibles is kind of the story of a frustrated white male guy with superpowers, which <laughs> yeah, mm. on the face of it is quite, quite well, uncomfortable. There is one black character in this film and one other whom we never see. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there, there is some diversity with it. Um, uh, I, I don't want to sort of beat it with a stick. And, and I, I, frankly, it didn't occur to me, particularly watching the film, but talking it through, it is a kind of a, a, a bit of a throwback to that kind of era when it, uh, everything was about white guys getting older. So, certainly there, the there are lots of little assumptions that I think, yeah, that is what a, what a white guy born in 1953 in America would assume is the standard universal timeless. <laughs> Well, it doesn't this... spoil the story for me, also no. a white, reasonably well-off guy, but yes. I can see how yes. this could get really irksome. Yes, I think uh, we're acknowledging sort of our privilege and the differences uh, in time since then. Um, and I, I, the, I think there's an element as well that, you know, comic... Oh, that's reminded me. I was just about to say comics aren't just for kids anymore, which has reminded me the number of times I've seen that as a super light, super, um, as a headline for a news... Uh, <laughs> usually saying something like, bam, pow, comics aren't just for kids anymore. Anytime Alan Moore basically produces any kind of comic. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, which, sorry, that's annoyed me. But that's, that's nothing to do with what I was talking about. It's, um, uh, the, the reason this skewed to an older audience, I think, than a lot of the Pixar output so far was that, frankly, my children aren't that excited about superheroes. I, I think there is a steadily aging population hmm. of, uh, people who grew up reading superhero comics. Uh, and then want to watch films about it or want to make films about it. Um, and this is, this is one of those. Um, I mean, we are now in the era where I'm thoroughly, utterly sick of superhero stories. Um, yeah, I was certainly having to make a mental transition back to 2004. Mm. And superhero films are, yeah, they're, they're starting to happen, but they're not universal. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know when the X-Men stuff goes. It feels like X-Men was when it started it all. Though we did have the Super The, the X-Men film. films I, I felt were never particularly huge. I, th- I think they, they were influential in the sense they triggered off a lot of this Yeah, I mean, but we, we don't get Iron Man till 2008, for example. Yeah, well, that was the, the Marvel juggernaut. Um, but Incredibles was, yeah, I think it was taking a risk. It was, uh, it probably wouldn't be seen as taking a risk now, or maybe not five years ago. Um, but it, it was taking a risk at the time. Um, and this is a Pixar film, and therefore it's full of great humour, um, great visual humour, great little jokes, fantastic characterization. Um, all those little things aside, um, I, of course, this being a Pixar film, found it a very easy watch. Mm. Um, I mean, it's all masterfully done. It's tight storytelling. It's funny. It's warm. Uh, so we have, um, we do have Mr. Incredible heads off to a, perf- a fantastically, a, a kind of, uh, tropical island with a volcano in the middle of it, which of course it has to. And it, 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 aside from other superhero films, it also, Clearly takes pretty strong influence from like 60s, 70s Bond films. Yeah, I, I wasn't loving the whole midlife crisis plot, yes. um, but I, I am absolutely a sucker for an island base with transport pods <laughs> and monorail <laughs> and all, all that stuff. And they, they actually did, um, one of uh, Bird's ideas on this was to, to make it um, in that style. He was originally going to do this as a, as a cell animation thing. Um, yeah. And they, they actually asked John Barry, who was the 60s Spy Jinx composer, okay, uh, yeah. about, about doing the soundtrack. And as far as I can see, he basically said, yeah, that's what I was doing in the 60s. Uh, <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I do this yeah. now. And so, so they got somebody else to do a pastiche of John Barry. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the, the, the thing for me is, though, I mean, that, that, it, it is a good pastiche. And oh, it, yeah. it brings on a very definite feel. Yeah. Which to me is not a superhero feel. I mean, it's, it's more the man from uncle. So. It definitely transitions from kind of depressed superhero to, uh, really, I mean, yeah, these are like spy characters with super, uh, these are not spy, they, I mean, it's not John Le Carre, is it? <laughs> these are, as you say, spy jinx. It becomes very much that kind of film. Um, uh, and really nicely, nicely done pastiche of it too. Um, I was very on board with the, the, the island and the, the the spy battle and all that. So, uh, hmm. Mr. Incredible, um, eventually after doing some jobs, um, for his mysterious patron gets captured by him, who turns out to be Buddy, his old fanboy, grown up, um, 
he ostensibly doesn't have any superhero superpowers, but in, you know, I guess in super's terms, he's a gadgeteer, so he can make basically impossible um, objects. Yeah. Uh, and it's really, again, it's really nicely done. His point, um, what is it, zero point cannon, um, which basically seems to remove all inertia and gravitational effects from anything. Um, zero point energy. Um, it's good. Oh, it's good. I mean, it's a very easy watch. This these are. Cackling villains, uh, they make little meta jokes about, oh, you got me monologuing, um, and that, which is, it's nice if you know the genre. Um, and then we have kids come in, hopefully less offensive child actors because they're animated for you, Roger. How did that go? <laughs> How did you feel about the, so uh, about uh, halfway through Mr. Incredible gets captured, then the rest of the family, particularly Elastigirl, have to sort of step up, um, and don their old superhero. Yeah, she having been gone through the going through the very standard plot of oh, is he having an affair? I mean, I, I kind of yeah, it's tired, but um, it's it's not as fresh as it. Uh, yeah, it could have been, but but yeah, I mean, no, well no objection to the kids. Um, I, I think they're a bit older than the characters they're portraying. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they they don't they they're not being asked to perform de- terribly heavy emotional lifting. So. Yeah, live with that. Uh, I, I, a side note of Roger's Aviation Corner here. Um, when Elastigirl Helen is flying a plane towards the island base, that aviation yes. talk is actually genuinely plausible aviation talk. I think that is the first time I've ever seen that in a film that wasn't about flying. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, she, so she's a, a very skilled, uh, qualified pilot. Um, yeah, that, that's nice to see. Um, it just goes to show, you know, take five minutes, ask a pilot what would a pilot say in this situation. Well, it doesn't make the film worse in any way. Makes it a lot better for Roger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm only going to watch it 15 years later, but what the hell? <laughs> um, okay, and then we have... I, I mean, actually, I, you've touched on it a few times. There's nothing particularly original. I, I suppose it's the combination of plots that are a bit original. I mean, everything it says about comics had been done, you know, years before. Um, there's a touch, there's an element of what if superheroes met the real world, which, of course, Alan Moore did in 1985. Mm. Um, but it, it handles it well, and certainly better than the Watchmen film. Um and it had, I think, to my knowledge, I remember coming out of the film, I can't remember if I saw it in the cinema, um, thinking that is the best superhero film I've seen. Now, I, little did I know how many flipping superhero films would be in my future at that point, but I do feel like it, it combined these elements, uh, in an interesting and fun way. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't, there were dark bits to it, like the bit about the, um, we have the wonderful, I do like, I, I suppose I can see how Edna might grate on people. Edna played by Brad Bird, I believe, the, the, yeah, uh, but he, he, he did try to Lily Tomlin, but either he didn't like her voice or she turned it down, it's not clear. Um, uh, she doesn't grate on me, um, but I can see. Yeah, I so probably... vi- visually somewhat based on Edith Head, um, and some other people. Um, but, but basically have... the, the costume designer. The costume designer, who is also basically a, a gadgeteer in her own right. Um, but we have a discussion about capes and how uh, dangerous they are and why you don't want to get... Um, I really thought that was going to come back to bite um, 
Uh, oh, it is, doesn't it? I've completely forgotten he gets caught in the jet, <laughs> the mm. jet stream and pulled into the jet. But there's a whole bit in Watchmen about, um, Dollar Bill who gets his cape caught in a revolving door and then shot to death by, <laughs> while he's trying to foil a bank robbery. So yeah, again, I, I, that, I did feel original. that the, this, this is, I mean, it, it may well have been the first time that it was done in a big budget superhero film, but certainly yes. if you had read Watchmen and in the culture I was in, everybody had read Watchmen. So yes, yeah. it, it, it seemed as though the film is saying, here is this idea that nobody has ever had before. And I'm thinking, yeah, Watchmen had that idea before 20 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is fair enough. You know, there, there are going to be people who see the film who have not read Watchmen. So, yeah. I Well, I, I feel more forgiving of it because I feel like it didn't just lift these ideas. It, it was new to cinematic. Um, yeah. yeah. It's in, do you know, it's interesting. On a, on a segue of there is nothing new under the sun, you know, one of the problems that happened to particularly Marvel, but DC as well, is that they basically started collapsing under their own continuity, something that Doctor Who should bloody do. But anyway, no, <laughs> let me move on from that. Um, and they had to tidy it all up, and they had, you know, Marvel and DC had different ways of dealing with that from crisis of internet, infinite earths to secret wars and things like that because they had so many different interpretations of all these different characters and it's interesting to see it's not quite live cinema in imitating art but the marvel cinematic universe is basically as far as i can see doing that now people mm. have lost exactly what's happened to you which people can't keep up with it and eventually are losing interest because they can't because it used to be there's like one film every year or every other year but now it's like well it's not just a film you have to watch you have to watch this tv series and you have to watch this mini series yeah they always try the cross promotion thing now and uh, yeah here, here is the comic that bridges the story between this film and this film and if you and if you don't also read the comic you won't know what really happened yeah it feels like um they haven't followed the cautionary tale of what actually happened to the comics book companies and are going down well, exactly the same they, route. They made an awful lot of money until the bubble burst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like the, the the bubble is on the verge of bursting because people just can't keep up. And they should have finished with Avengers Endgame, which is flipping brilliant. Um, <laughs> that should have finished it. Anyway, that's my but anyway, yeah, but you, um Edna was was definitely the breakout character in, in, in both films, but... Um, she, she's, it's a relatively minor role, um, but she's just fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, genuinely, uh, funny. I, I mean, these are, it's all, uh, it's all Pixar humour, which I suppose feels a bit, I don't mean to damn that with faint praise. It's very funny and very, uh, uh, pleasant. It feels funny and pleasant in a way like watching a really well polished American sitcom feels, you know, it's just really professionally done. Mm. Um, and I, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that as a bad thing or quite what I'm saying other than it's kind of a recognizable brand of polish that is reliably, uh, gonna work but there's nothing i mean I, I suppose you could argue it was like an auteur film because it was a brad bird had a lot to do with this but it's really been heavily sprayed with the pixar polish um to make it very good i i mean i don't i don't know quite what my point is other than it feels like it doesn't uh, say it doesn't take a lot of risks no well i think it did maybe the whole concept of it uh, was, uh, was uh, a actually risk. are you going to really like this at all level sure but 
in terms of what's in there, I mean, there, there, there is nothing that would be a surprise to somebody who, who had, you know, seen an episode or two of Batman or was vaguely aware that Superman was a thing or, you know. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know whether it's different. I mean, it does what it does really well. Mm. Um, and I, you know, we talked about Roma in our last episode. Which was a slog for me. It was much worthier uh, film, much admit, more altruistic. In a better mood to watch this, having just watched that. <laughs> it's um, well, it's about the same length as Rover, or not far <laughs> off. Um, doesn't feel like it. It's, I again yeah, five, five made, minutes we... under the two-hour mark rather than fifteen minutes over. But yeah, okay, all right. So it, it genuinely, but, gets but quite it, a bit. It, they're, they're, it's substantial and it does not feel long. Yeah, I will agree with you. And it's, uh, it hits all the plot points and it does all the right thing. And sadly enough, I am a human. I have the same kind of brain as other humans. And I am, uh, even as someone who's watched a lot of films now for Ribbon of Memes, I, when a film does it right and hits all the right things, it, it works and I just get taken away with it. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I have some issues with it. I, I think maybe that's from a 2022 perspective. It's also from a, I like this thing before everyone else did perspective. <laughs> and um that's neither of those are particularly valid in a way, but I agree it's less it's less like Watchmen was incredibly risky and incredibly new and no one had any see, ever seen anything quite like it. And it doesn't take those sort of risks, I agree. Mm. Um it just This doesn't make it a bad thing. No, no, uh, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's very good. I, uh, I have liked pretty much all the Pixar films. Um, well, it, this, this came out before they'd made cars, let's bear in mind. <laughs> I don't hate cars. Um, uh, oh dear, I'm getting a look, but, um, <laughs> I agree. It's, it's a lesser, it's a lesser Pixar. I've said Pixar a lot. Um, I don't know. It just, it really is on brand for that kind of, you know that you're going to enjoy this film. It's going to be well made. It's going to be professional. It's a subject matter that I like. Um, and it's, you know, you have, you're also probably reliably going to be moved a bit emotionally, um, probably artificially. Well, definitely artificially. These characters don't exist. <laughs> um, well, there, there is a thing. I mean, when, when I'm watching trailers now, that there, there is a, a definite style of animation for kids, and to me, a lot of them look very similar. That is a thing that Pixar has managed to avoid, I think, because yes. because they yeah they started off with a lot of technical involvement, and yes. they they have always been trying to push the envelope of what they did, and that the, in for this film in particular, they did did a lot of that because uh, Brad Bird turns out to be an amazingly demanding director. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, don't tell me there's been, uh, there probably have been stories. So he, he brought in a bunch of people he'd worked with on the Iron Giant, um, which was mostly, uh, practical. And th- this was ob- obviously it was going to be all CG. Um, yes. and they, they did things like, well, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Monsters Inc. Um, the technical team told, uh, the director, no, no, this character's got to have pigtails because it's going to make her hair easier to animate. Right. Uh, and Brad, Brad Bird was able to push back on that. So, for example, Violet, the daughter, yes. for much of the film, has um, hair hanging down over one eye. Yes. And that was, get, getting the physics right on that was hugely demanding. Um, okay. But, yeah, but well, I had somebody who was saying, no, the, you are going to do this. And it doesn't look so impressive now, but if you put yourself in 2004 CGI mindset, it's wow, how the hell did they oh, do yeah. this? <laughs> and it it's also has a recognisable art 
style to it, which mm. I always appreciate. With it, you know, it's not yeah. just generic anime. There's a there's a real kind of style, which is somewhere between superheroic and and spy fi kind of stylized spy fi which. And that's the yeah. thing. I, d- I don't get the spy fi feeling off this, but clearly other people did. So yeah, fair enough. I, visually, it's um, it's very good. Um, yeah. Plot. plot uh, yeah. I mean, I, I liked it very much, and certainly I was in the mood for it after the uh, after Roma. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, I do remember thinking this is the best superhero film I've ever seen. I mean, coming back to it now, uh, no, but I was surprised how much of it I remembered. Um, I can see why I thought that. It felt like it was introducing a lot of stuff that I really liked from comics into the film, mm. but managing to do it in a with a in a way that didn't ruin the film. Um, in the way that Alan Moore kind of ruined comedy. <laughs> not, <laughs> not deliberately, but he did. Uh, everyone wanted to imitate that. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's the incredible. Have you more to say about the incredible? Well, uh, just, one? just to note, it got, uh, two minor Academy Awards. Uh, it also got the Hugo for best dramatic presentation. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard to think back to how things were then. Because I think it really was quite, it felt quite innovative and new at the time. Um, we'll, I guess we'll talk about masterpieces at the end, but we'll fast forward then, uh, 14 years to 2018. Yeah, and one of the things that made it slightly unusual, uh, at the time was it wasn't, it wasn't a sequel. It wasn't intended to have a sequel. Yeah, it was never supposed to, but it made money. And people liked it, and well, uh, by that I mean, stage, usually Pixar... when that happens, it, it's um, you know we'll, we'll immediately come back and do another mm. one. Uh, but they resisted the. Well, I think it wasn't it a Pixar thing for. It's hard to remember, but Pixar for a while didn't want to do any sequels. Um, Toy Story Two was a real exception to that, but I, I, my memory is they never wanted to do a sequel. Um, mm. And then they did, and then they did again, and then they did again. And I think they well, sort of uh, had Bradbury a Well, made Ratatouille after this, which oh, was successful. Uh, and then, then after that, I think, I think it was just sort of kicking around for a while, and, and eventually they thought, let's do it, let's actually do it. Well, I mean, you could argue maybe he waited till he had an idea that was worthy of doing a sequel for. Um, yes. Um, he, he was saying in 2013, um, well, no, he was saying in 2007, yes, I'm interested in doing a sequel. I've got bits that would go towards it. Uh, he was saying later, uh, yeah, this, this is just being float, floating around. It, it, I don't think anybody's talked about the exact process. Mm. Though w- one consideration, of course, is by, you know, 2014, 15, 16, uh, when, when this was getting, starting to move into gear, there had been a lot of superhero films. There had. So it was quite, I mean, there were a lot of things about the climate change. One, Pixar made quite a lot of sequels by then and kind of showed that they didn't necessarily drop the ball with sequels, that they could do that. Disney, whenever Disney made sequels, at least for a while, they were like really direct-to-video sequels and pretty awful mm. um, compared to the original. So Pixar had shown uh, that Aladdin they could make... Aladdin for example. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aladdin what? Um, and... Uh, Cinderella 2 Electric Boogaloo was a, was a terrible thing. I, I but I mean, we, we've, we've mentioned this before, um, with Alien and Aliens. 
and the, the thinking at the time for that was, you know, Sigourney Weaver was assuming it was going to be basically the same thing again, and she, she was only persuaded to come on board when it was clear that it wasn't. Yes. So, in the context of uh, sequels uh, being possible and being good, um, that's <laughs> partly where The Incredibles came from. Um, Incredibles 2 also came at a time when uh, we were much more by we again I mean entitled uh, uh, well off white guys were much yeah. more aware of the lack of diversity that had hitherto been displayed in cinema um, and I think we probably need to talk about that with respect to The Incredibles 2 because uh, we can forgive The Incredibles 1 for a lot of that Incredibles 2 does make some adjustments in the face of that I think some very minor ones but yeah maybe not as many as <laughs> it should have done Um and yeah, the other thing was there had been a ton of superhero films by then. Um, including, I mean, this is the phase where the phase, I listen to me, I'm like a Marvel Cinematic Universe marketing guy, but Marvel, they do it in phases. And this was, I, I believe this was the end of phase three for the MCU, um, which is where they should have left it, as I'll say again. Um, this was uh, the, basically the culmination of all the previous films was coming out. Uh, in Infinity War, and then followed on, I think it was the next year, by Endgame. Um, so, that's the context in when we get The Incredibles 2. Yeah, so um, what Bird was trying to do here was not do generic superhero stuff, but in, instead, you know, he, he had some ideas that, that had been left over from the first film, but, but he want, wanted to do something that wasn't going to be one of the standard superhero plots. Hmm. Not sure he entirely succeeded there. Mm. If, if well, the impression I got on this was there is an awful lot of, oh, daddy has to look after the baby. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Kind of stuff you would see in an 80s advert for dishwasher powder or something like that. <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was really going to lean on that. And it actually, it, it did so less than I thought. I mean, we have, uh, Elastigirl is, um, the main protagonist here rather than I mean they, they all come together in The Incredibles but really for the first half of the film it's more Elastigirl's story mm. um, which is uh, is welcome um, but yeah, it, it does it, undermine the ending of the first film a bit in that we go straight from everything is fine and we can be superheroes again to oh no superheroes are still illegal we we got to hide again yeah I mean literally straight from it it pretty much picks up Fourteen years later, it picks up uh, almost exactly where the first film left off with um, the Underminer. Um, that's a great name for a super baddie <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, attack. Uh, so yeah, we have um, uh, the whole plot of this film is trying to make um, superheroes legal again. I mean, I don't. It seems odd to me. Actually, getting down to brass tack, you don't have to make superheroes illegal. They're vigilantes without any official police enforcement powers. They're already illegal. You don't have to pass an act to make what they do illegal, as far as I can tell. But this is in the realm where, where you... Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that really surprised me here was that the the um, billionaire who who is apparently the superhero's friend was not in fact the primary villain. Uh, yeah, I have to... It was predictable enough that you knew that, you know, that's where the villain was going to come from. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I think I had predicted partially because it was, the, uh, it was, um, oh goodness, what's his name? Um, the Better Call Saul actor, who's a fantastic actor. Um, 
uh, doing the voiceover. So I, I found it very distracting because I know um, very much uh, what he looks like and how he acts. Oh, goodness me, what's his name? Uh, having a complete blank. Um, it is... Uh, Bob Odenkirk? That, Bob Odenkirk. So I, every time he... Sp- it's one of those when you know a voice very well. Uh, I just I just saw that it wasn't Bob Odenkirk talking um and so mm. i found that it really took me out of it that's nobody's fault really other than my own brains um but i think i felt they were never going to make him the villain um and his sister was too cool and too nice um <laughs> anyway the, the point is we have a very similar situation to the first film that that someone who starts out as a, a good guy becomes the villain uh well, it really it's revealed to have been the villain all along yeah i just didn't feel in any way a surprise I, to the point where I was actually waiting for it to happen um, yeah and the plot so it's it's actually a very similar plot to The Incredibles but the roles are reversed and yes there's some it does get some mileage out of oh, oh, oh look at this look at this guy he's 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 incredible but he can't be a dad and he can't teach maths and he get yeah I, I will agree I found that a bit wearing because that's just I, even that fell out of date for 2018. That's not. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, even Elastigirl's kind of laughing about. It feels like it touches on women's politics, and, and but it doesn't really. I, I really do feel that whenever there's a. Whenever there is a conflict between let us do this fun thing and no, no, we've got, we've got to be sensible, it's, yeah. it's pretty much always the woman who's on the side of being sensible. Yes, yeah, and that's no. It feels like gender politics written by an entitled white guy, which I guess is probably what it was. <laughs> what it yeah, was. Um, but there we are. Um, it, but we 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 meet a bunch of new superheroes. Yes, we, we have do. the. Uh, you you may have a better idea of than I do when when this was standard in comics, but um, we we have the traditional uh, you you get to fight them even though they're heroes scene. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you kind of knew that was going to happen because yeah. we meet a bunch of people. Again, it was quite rude. We meet a bunch of supers, bunch of supers. You kind of vaguely hear their names. You don't see what their powers are. Well, they're not going to have designed all these characters if you're not going to see what their powers are. So you know that at some point they're going to be fighting, and there haven't been any other antagonists. So you know. It doesn't take much to work out that they're going to end up fighting against them. Yeah. Um, it, it would have been nice. I mean, we, we see the Incredibles plus Frozone coming together mm. and working together and getting the whole power synergy thing going. Mm. Maybe it's just me. I think it would have been nice if, if the, if the newbies had had some chance to do that as well after they got dehypnotized, but yeah. Yeah, they do get, I, I guess it, it's, uh, it's more of a personal preference thing than this is a failure of film. I mean, this, the start of the film really didn't grip me in the same way that The Incredibles did. And I was sort of, because, as you say, we were both kind of faintly irritated by the, the gender politics. Um, mm. that it, actually it turned out, you know, Mr. Incredible, um, probably couldn't have looked after this baby because it's got a hundred different superpowers and it's different. Yeah, did, things. did they not notice? I mean, we saw very clearly at the end of the first film that the baby had powers and they were there looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I was a bit surprised. Uh, well, they hadn't had much, they hadn't had 14 years to think about it, Roger. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, yeah. Um, I was, again, this, uh, one thing that struck me is visually, I did not notice the Incredibles look dated at all. But goodness, it looks, uh, very updated when you hit the Incredibles 2 straight after the Incredibles. I mean, yeah, the they, same... they did have to rebuild all the character models from scratch because the tech had changed sufficiently. 
Yeah, well, it, it does look very... Uh, I mean, they don't change the visual style. It's just much more detailed, I think, and much more, um, much prettier. Well, th- um, things, I... things like Elastigirl's new metallic grey costume has got the metallic grey reflection thing going on it, that kind of... It's 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 clearly a, a sort of new generation of, of visuals in it. Um, I'll have to go back to watch The Incredibles now or watch a bit of it. To see how <laughs> it Didn't seem so at the time. Um, uh, so it turns out, yes. I, I, I think, to be fair, um, the 2018 film is not stretching the limits of what's possible the way the 2004 one was. I mean, it's, it's not bad, but... Yeah, the, it it was it was they just say okay, here is a thing that we already know how to do, and we will do it, rather than we've got to write whole new ways of doing things. Yes, and I thought one thing we talked about as far as this is a sequel go, we talked in Blade Runner. Uh, I think I said something like, you know, an Indiana Jones sequel doesn't have to justify itself; it just has to be fun. Um, whereas a Blade Runner sequel really needs to. Uh, explain what is the point of revisiting this franchise all these years later. Yeah, I mean, we we, we told Deckard's story, whereas yeah. Indiana Jones uh, is what Robin Laws calls the iconic character. You, exactly. You, you you don't have to say, oh well, you know, he he had he had a childhood where this happened. You just say, okay, there's archaeology, there's Nazis, go. Here's another adventure. Yeah, yeah. Does so? Do you did you think the Incredible sort of justified it? So which, which one of the are these iconic? I said that is the problem that they're, they're definitely presented films. as dramatic. I mean, there there is an arc yeah. within the story within each film, at least there from Mister Incredible, less to some extent, to- some of the others. Well, that's, I think, a problem with my, there is a lot less tolerance of sort of iconic characters now, you know, a, a lot of... I, th- I think it was always a problem with film. That, that's why, you know, until we got the Marvel films, many superhero films tended to be origin stories, even if there'd been an, a, another film, you know, five years earlier, because there was all that, always that feeling of, what if the audience feels lost? They, they, they can't work out who this person is. Yeah, let's ex- and also, as you say, it'll give them a dramatic character arc, um, where uh, going from you know, normal guy to the superhero or whatever, yeah. yeah. Whereas you don't need to do that with Indiana. It'd be interesting to see whether the new indie one does that. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's going to be crap, isn't it? I'm trying try not. <laughs> I'm getting my hopes up. I don't know why. Um, yeah, but a, a lot of modern superhero films, and they, again, of course, this was done years and years ago in comics that they uh, they tried, and the problem. The problem you have with doing that in comics and, and with comic book characters is that's great to have a dramatic arc, um, but you've got to keep selling comic books month after month mm. after month, and so they've got to have another dramatic arc or someone else. And, and so they're either iconic and have a new adventure every month, but are fundamentally, ultimately kind of uninteresting because they're hard to empathise with unless you're really into that adventure. Or they have a dramatic arc, but what kind of dramatic story doesn't have an ending well a soap opera i guess <laughs> and, mm. and that's where a lot of these things turn into um yeah i i i think this is definitely going for the arc more than for for the iconic yeah um, for i mean for all that nobody is becoming the hero for the first time um i think it's it in both films, it's here. Here we start, and the guy is basically down, and they, they yeah. are unhappy, and then they, and by the end, they are happy with, with the, heroes. The problem with that, um, and I think you've already intimated this, and it certainly is what I call maybe the Alien Three problem—that you have a cool ending to um, 
a film and it's very up and very exciting. But to start the next film, you can't have them all up and excited because that would ruin the, you know, that that you can't start a film that way. So everyone's going to be down again. And I, I did feel that a bit in The Incredibles that they, as you say, they undermined the ending of the first film. Um, yeah, um, w- one example undermined. That, I hadn't thought of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one example that falls in between these for me is, is Wreck It Ralph, where I thought the first film was great. Yeah, um, I haven't seen the second one. And he, yeah, he 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 is basically the the I, I don't know the characters the the, the, the gorilla and Donkey Kong effectively uh, portrayed yeah. as a human being, yeah. uh, and and he learns to you know be nice to people, people be nice to him, all the rest of it. And beginning of second film, all of that is forgotten and he's back to being, yeah, yeah, me tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, as you say, this manages it a bit better partially by flipping characters and changing their circumstances, but mm. it's still a bit of a, yeah, it's not we quite could have had like, the film about Frozen. Ex- yeah. Well, there probably is a spin-off in the way. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it is Samuel L. Jackson after all. Um, it's not quite the same level as killing off Hicks and Newt at the, in the opening yeah. minutes of the film. Um, but it's, uh, it, it has a slight problem. I, and I, that all came from me asking, does it justify, does it bring a lot new to the table considering we have a ton of superhero films now? Um, and the original was risky. It's fair to say this, this isn't very risky for Pixar at this stage. It thing. doesn't stand out from films the way um, the the original does. Yeah, yeah. I um, think I think that's like the original. It, it, it's fun. It doesn't do things terribly. Um, yeah. a, apart from the gender politics, as we've mentioned, but it also doesn't. I, I think if I'd seen Incredibles two first, I would not have felt any particular urge to go back and see number one. I think that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I was, I enjoyed it. It's sprayed with Pixar polish and it's good and pleasant. And I, I, w- I wouldn't be horrified if this was the kid, the film the kids uh, forced on me for that particular. <laughs> <afternoon>. <laughs> I think, oh god, it could have been a lot worse for sure. At least I'll enjoy it. Um, there, there is you... one thing that does does strike me though, um, and we're, we're getting deep, even deeper into spoiler territory here. Um, it turns out that the the the, the billionaire is fond of superheroes because his parents were great superhero fans and helped mm. them out and so on. Uh, and then, then they, they got, after the superhero ban came in, they got killed. Yes. And the, his sister, the technical genius, um, says, well, yeah, but yeah, that was because they, they were, they were relying on the superheroes to come and help them rather than take mm. their own defenses. And I couldn't find, help but find myself thinking, are there no police in this universe? I mean, somebody breaks into your house. <laughs> well, yeah, why wouldn't you call the police? Um, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I mean, I tried not to explore the reality of it. I, I do think it was, it was, she had a nice bit of psycho, you know, he's, he's conflating, you know, his parents are around and superheroes are around. So hmm. he's kind of hoping that when superheroes are around again, that his world will be happy. And I, I like that kind of element of psychology. She, there is some thoughtfulness to these to these characters hmm. um, uh, I mean a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense if that's the case why do you have such a happy ending uh, but anyway superheroes become legal again and everyone's happy again and, and none of the problems that led to superheroes being banned seem to have been solved as far as I can tell yeah. but um, it's uh, oh, I enjoy I mean I spent I suppose I spent nearly four hours with the Incredibles Um didn't feel as long as watching <laughs> I, 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 I did respond to them well. Uh, I, I don't know. For me, 
maybe before we started it, I might have said they're masterpieces, but I, I don't think so now. I think they they follow it. They're a bit too formulaic for me. Both of them, they don't bring enough mm. new to the table. They're highly polished, extremely well done, very watchable. I enjoy them. They're good entertainment. They are not yes. great film. In yeah. a way that I would argue, I mean, I, I don't necessarily mean an arty film. I would argue that Aliens is great film. Yeah, I mean, it is. In, in a way that argue. this isn't. I'm never going to argue with you there. Uh, I could watch Aliens right now. Um, I don't think I'd want to watch, uh, I, and I could watch Aliens right after watching Aliens, which is always a good sign mm. for me. Um, I don't know, maybe that's part nostalgia and part, but I, I think watching these films through, as we have done in Ribbon of Memes, it has kind of affirmed to me that the films I thought were absolutely great and really enjoyed, for the most part, are. And really, really were <laughs> masterpieces. Um, there were some that have uh, faded in the memory a bit, but I, I don't think so. I think some of those movies are genuinely great. Aliens mm. being amongst them, uh, and I agree. These, these two are very good, and I enjoyed them, but they're not. Uh, they don't feel like masterpieces to me. I agree. Yeah. Well, that means zero masterpieces for 2018. I'm afraid for us. For us, at least. I'm pretty sure we'll we'll get back on at least one next year, possibly more. <laughs> well, we'll try and find one. Maybe we should dig out years where there were no masterpieces and <laughs> mine one out of there. All right. Well, I think uh, it only remains for me to say, "Bye, bye, darlings." <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,